0: Good morning, how's everyone doing? Ooh, I might get excited, and might want to turn me down. I don't know why I tell them what to do, like they don't know what they're doing, you know what I mean? They're the professionals back there. Uh, happy Independence Day to all of you, um, and good morning to our online friends. Um, you know, what a true blessing to live in America. So many blessings, freedoms, and opportunities. Um, And may we continue to beg God for mercy on behalf of our nation Um, and our prayers that God would restore us as a nation um, whose God is the Lord Almighty. Uh, This nation was founded upon God's word and um, we have strayed a long way away from that. Um, And so what an opportunity, what a blessing to be a part of what God is doing here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just your spirit and your presence in this place. God, thank you for freedom. Freedom here in America. But God, most importantly, freedom found through your son and the blood of Jesus. I thank you, Father, that every single one of us who have called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us are free from our sin and our shame and our past and our bondage jesus i thank you that whom you have set free is free indeed god i ask that you would speak to us this morning that you'd give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying god that you would engrave your word on our hearts and god um, Just as you have done and and will do, God, we ask for a move of the Spirit in in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Alright, we're going to start off with reading the whole chapter, Acts chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them down before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Leda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Leda and Sharon saw him. And they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Leto was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. We continue our journey through the book of Acts, not merely hearing the word of God, but also being doers. It seems that here at CCSA, um, we are experiencing a move of God and the expansion of God's kingdom. Um, As we journey through this book, um, I've heard testimonies, stories, people getting baptized Tongues being loosed, people being set free, and a million other little miracles that surely only heaven knows about. That's what I love about the word of God is it's powerful and inactive. And when we come to it with open hearts and open minds and get out of the way, God can do his thing. And anytime we encounter God, we always walk away transformed. Um, And so we see four key components in Acts chapter nine, the power of God, the power of obedience. The power of our testimony and the power of unity. And we're going to break this down. Verses 1 through 19, Saul is interrupted by God. Have you ever been interrupted by God? Isn't it like the most annoying, frustrating, beautiful thing? Because you know on the other side it's going to be good, right? But it's like, oh, come on. I wasn't ready for this. This was for 2024, Lord, not 2021. A little early, right? Saul gets interrupted by God, and we see and we know that Saul has a very checkered past. I mean, how exactly does one breathe murder and threats? Because Luke 6, 45 says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, everything that comes out of our mouths is really an indication of what's in our hearts. And so Saul and his zealousy, I don't know if that's a word. Uh, but he actually thought he was doing God a favor by, by locking up Christians and, and taking care of them. He he actually thought he he was doing the right thing. And we see in Saul a very wicked heart, much like our own, Jeremiah 17 9. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Every single one of us. By the way, Damascus, fun fact, was about 130 miles northeast of Jerusalem, so it shows. Saul's determination. He was on a mission. Nothing was going to stop him. It would have been about a six day journey. When was the last time you took a six day journey to do what the Lord asked you to do? Yeah, me either. But Saul was determined. And it's here on the way that he gets interrupted. And for Saul, there was no cost too great to him. But see, that's what sin does. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you greater than you want to pay. And so for Saul, there, there was no there, it was no big deal. Six-day road trip, stopping at Bucky's on the way. I'm going to take, I'm, I'm take care of him, lock him up, right? Here, um, we see that Christianity is referred to as the way, which I love. It's actually quite appropriate. And, and they say that that was... Probably the first name for the Christian movement. We see the way referenced five different times in Acts 5, and it represents it's a way of life, a way of believing and living out of that belief, not so much a religion and a set of rules to follow. And there's so much life in that, isn't it? Um, When God repeats a name twice, it's to display deep emotion and not anger. I've always read this passage like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, and there's like a loud clap of thunder and a lightning bolt. But I think I missed the heart of God in that. It was Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And notice what God asks, not why are you doing what you're doing? How could you treat my people in that way? It's why are you doing this to me? And that's sin, man. Sin, we we not only sin against ourselves and against each other, but we sin against God himself. There's no partiality with sin. Like, man, I'm going to talk bad about someone, but it's okay. They deserve it a little bit, right? God's like, no, you're talking bad against me. They carry me inside of them. So you're really hurting me. You're, you're really sinning against me. Saul is confronted about his true sin nature and devious acts. Have you ever felt like God needed your help on something and you ended up just making a mess of things? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Saul really thought he was doing the right thing. He, he really thought in his understanding of who God was, That he was doing the right thing. And and this is where he is encountered with the spirit of God who who speaks truth to him. And so next uh, we see Saul's conversion. Notice the two questions that Saul asks in response to this divine encounter. Two of the most important questions that you and I could ask. Number one, who are you, Lord? Who are you? All of us in this room, and there are some really deep saints of the Lord in this room, some heroes of the faith. But all of us, whatever our understanding of who God is, is really just a small snippet, a small fraction of who he really is. Like we could spend the rest of our lives reading scripture, studying, praying, worshiping, spending time with him. And we will just barely scratch the surface of all that he is. That's fascinating to me. So the first question he asks, who are you, Lord? The second question he asks, Lord, what do you want me to do? See, the surrendered heart takes ownership. The one surrendered isn't asking God, what would you like Bob to do this week? He is our pastor. God, how about those elders? sitting to be drinking coffee a lot. (laughs) Oh, y'all laugh because you passed that. I'm just (laughs) playing. And there's nothing wrong with drinking coffee. Oh, my gosh. Stick to the notes, Tara. (laughs) But God, what do you want me to do? Taking ownership. What is my role in your kingdom? What what do you want to do with and through me today? Okay. And notice that God responds with an in-the-moment answer right now. Do this. Get up, go to the city. That's it. Most of us want like the 10 year plan, right? Doesn't it drive you crazy when someone says, where do you see yourself in five years, Tara? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm just trying to get through today. (laughs) I mean, I used to be like type A and every Sunday night, this was 10 years ago, you could ask me what my week looks like and I had it scheduled down to the hour. Like it was so OCD. And I'm like, oh, let's roll with it. Sure. That's how God often works. We want the 10 year vision, but we can't be faithful with today's vision. Be faithful in the small things. And here's why this is interesting to me you and I, we will never be able to do what's asked of us if we don't know the one asking. Saul asked first, who are you? And then what do you want me to do? Then we see Saul's transformation. Saul's blinded. He gets up. He goes to the city. He doesn't eat or drink for three days. Sounds like a terrible plan. And God uses a simple man, Ananias. We don't know much about him. It's not like Ananias was a prophet or an elder or a pastor Not an Uber driver that we're aware of. Just a simple man. And can you imagine the audacity of God to ask Ananias? Hey, Ananias, Saul, the guy who's been locking up Christians and has the authority. I mean, Saul was a well-educated man. Had great authority. So God shows up to Ananias. And God says, I want you to go to the city to meet this man and pray for him. Uh. I think you've got the wrong Ananias. You need Ananias III on 3rd Street? He's totally available today. I'm sorry I'm busy making donuts for Sunday morning Sunday school. I mean, golly. What if God asked you or I to do something like that? Which technically he does because he says to pray for your enemies and be kind to those who mistreat you and forgive those who have mistreated you some minor detail. But that's like a little bit different than like... Being locked up, right? So Ananias obeys his fear of God on full display, crushing all other fears. See, you cannot fear God and fear man. You cannot fear God and fear death itself for getting locked up. And that's the thing is, is when we fear God, it cancels all other fears. So Ananias goes, verses 19 through 25 Saul declares that Jesus is God, boldly. It says that he immediately, he immediately started preaching boldly that Jesus Christ is Lord. Saul graduated from making havoc to leaving others in amazement. They were so perplexed. Isn't this the guy? Can you hear the whispers? Can you hear the chatter? Hey, Rachel, hey, do you see that guy? Saul boldly preaches that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Saul proves that Jesus was the Christ. And then there's the death threat against Saul, which fascinating to me that they hit him in a basket and lowered him through an opening in a wall. Must have been a big basket. Put that in your Easter basket. Stuff Saul, yeah, mom, what is that? Not the first man of God, by the way, to be hidden in a basket, right? Remember Moses. Verses 26 through 31, we see Saul in Jerusalem There was some confusion. Some really doubted that Saul had been transformed. Saul really doubted that Jesus had gotten a hold of Saul. And so there was some resistance there. Barnabas takes him in and there's still an active death threat, but notice that the church was built up and multiplied. Verse 31 says that they walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the church was multiplied. How about a little math today? Yeah. Don't worry. I'm like a two plus two equals four. Someone just groaned. <laughs> They're like, it's summer. What are you doing? All right. Check this out. The key to church growth. All you make a church pastors take notes. and I'm just playing kind of. But look, check it out. Fear plus comfort equals multiplication. How does the church grow? OK, simpler way of saying it reverence plus peace equals harvest see fear of God equates to obedience every time if you fear the Lord you're gonna do what he's asked you to do whether you understand whether you're comfortable whether you like it whether it's convenient or not if you fear God and he says do X Y and Z you're gonna immediately do X Y and Z because slow obedience is disobedience that's why I pray often for myself God give me a heart that's quick to obey I don't need to understand it. I don't need to rationalize it. I don't need to be good with it. If Jesus Christ is my Lord, then I am to obey immediately. So the fear of the Lord or reverence or a deep respect actually equates to obedience. So when we are obedient, when we fear the Lord and we obey and we walk in the peace and comfort of the Holy Spirit, there is multiplication. And there is peace in obeying Christ. Right. We've all experienced it. Right. But how many of us have experienced the lack of peace or the regret knowing that we missed a moment? And listen, sometimes your obedience is just a test. You're not going to see fruit. I'll never forget. I used to go on dates with Jesus in my 20s and I was down by the river and reading my Bible and just listening to worship And there was a lady uh, a few yards down, and and she was homeless. And I've always loved homeless people and had a soft spot for them. But as I was reading, God said, Tara, go pray for her. And I was like, God, really? I'm spending time with you right now. (laughs) What a (laughs) dumb excuse. And he's like, Tara, go. And I was like, but I'm just enjoying our time together, Lord. Go. I'm like, okay. So she's facing the river and she's sitting down. And I'm walking slowly over there. And where, uh, she's about where Jerry's sitting, but like facing the river. So she can't see me. And maybe I walk loud. I probably do. I don't know. I have like a penguin waddle. It's fine. But before I even get within five feet of her, she says, get away from me. I don't want anything to do with your God. And I was like, hmm. Do I say God bless you? Where's the manual for this? Let me text someone. Jesus loves you anyway. I just slowly backed away and didn't say a word. And I went back to my spot with the Lord and I was frustrated. Like, God, why did you tell me to do that? That's awkward. Now my pits are sweating and I'm going to ruin this date with you. That's awkward. Sometimes our obedience is just a test to see if we're going to obey. It's not about the fruits. You are not going to see fruit every time. Sometimes you're going to be rejected. Sometimes you're going to offend someone. Sometimes it's going to blow up. And you're going to be left confused and saying, I know. I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is what God said to do. Why did it turn out like this? That's the, the mystery of God. It's just how things are. Um, Now we skip down to verses 32 to 43. Peter is used by God. Peter enters the scene. And just a couple key highlights. Peter heals a paralyzed man. And what happened? People turn to who? The Lord. Dorcas is dead. That, (laughs) That name makes me laugh. Okay, you guys know the old word when you would call someone a dork? Like, you're such a dork. Well, I have a friend who recently, sometimes I call her Dorcas. And then when I was preparing, I was like, oh no, Acts 9 talks about Dorcas. So I'm like purposely trying not to look at this person because i am here to go. everything in me not to laugh. I was like, should I text Bob? Dear Bob, I can't do Acts chapter 9 because it talks about Dorcas, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? Anyway, <laughs> um, Dorcas is dead. Peter walks in and prays, and she's brought back to life. And again, many turn to who? The Lord, and we're saved. These kids are on point today. Good job, kids. Our resurrecting from the dead, whether it's physical or spiritual, always points people to Jesus. Always. Galatians 2, 20 through 21 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So we're we're told to die to ourselves. So our dying to selves is always someone else's resurrection. See, with our lives, we either put us on display or we put the risen Christ on display. We've seen that in in Saul and Ananias. We've seen that with Peter now. I wonder who is raised to life in Christ because of our self denial or lack thereof. In summary, there is power, unlimited power in God Almighty, the Omnipotent One, all powerful. There is power in simply obeying quickly the first time. There is power in our testimony and there is power in our unity. Remember how the early church was built up and multiplied? It was through fear of the Lord and the comfort of the spirit there was multiplication. When we live in deep respect and reverence of God in and through the peace of Christ and of the spirit, we can expect to reap a great harvest. Our faithfulness pales in comparison to his faithfulness. Aren't you glad for a God who is faithful every time? A God who doesn't waver in his word. A God who is not slow in keeping his promises. We will never be faithful like the Lord Almighty, but when we are faithful with what he's called us to and he shows up with his big faithfulness, incredible things happen in such a way.